Well, hello. Welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. I'm Mike McCarthy. On this week's show, what are you supposed to do when local health officials walk onto the pitch in an attempt to deport players? How much transparency should there be in refereeing decisions? And whatever happened to the six-second law? Uh, with me, as always, former FIFA referee and former head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. How are you doing, Keith? Good morning, Mike. Also with us today, very pleased to say, another man who knows what it's like to officiate at the very top level, former Premier League and FIFA referee, Mark Housie. Morning, Mike. Morning, Keith. Morning, Mark. Or it's buenos dias, amigos. Good to chat. <laughs> I, I like the backdrop, Mark, with all the photographs. It shows where you've been and who you've yeah, seen. Yeah, it's a lovely present, lovely present from my wife, so... We're going to get into so many of your memories in, in the show. Uh, just before we get into uh, some of the brilliant stuff that you've done in your career, Mark, wanted to kick off with this. A quick question from Paul, a Barnsley fan, uh, and I've got two very experienced referees here, so we should be able to answer this one pretty quickly. Uh, the Barnsley-Birmingham game, a foul throw from Roberts of Birmingham went to Barnsley's Clark O'Dor, who beat the last man and went clear on goal on around the halfway line. Paul says the referee blew and gave us a, a throw instead. Could he have played advantage, as with other fouls, or did he have to bring it back for a throw to us? Keith, is there a pretty simple solution here? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, I think that there's a level at which a, a referee applies the law, but there's also an area of common sense. And for me, I wonder how many times we see a foul throw being penalised in a game of football Yes, the laws are there. Yes, the referee has probably done the right thing. But I tell you, referees at the top level of the game, and I mean the top, top level of the game, if they want to proceed with their career, then judge when and when not to come in. And for me, this is overindulgence by the referee. Mark, are you making the same call here? Yeah, listen, I mean, Keith always taught me. Um, by the way, when I was in my early career, I'd touch on a couple of things with, with Keith when he assessed me. You know where I'm coming from. As a referee, <laughs> do not go looking for trouble because trouble will find you. Okay? Now, listen, there's, we see many foul throws that are not, not penalised um, on those sort of situations. When I, I mean, if, I, if I saw a player that, that committed a foul throw, a technical breach of the law, I will go up to that player again and say, do that again, and I will penalise you for a foul throw. Just give them a little bit of warning, because they're not doing it deliberately. They're just they're trying to get the ball back into play as quick as they can and, and the way they go. So it's about man-managing the game, man-managing the players and, and, and engaging with the players. And then problems won't, won't um, exist in, in the game if, if you manage it properly. But Paul, I mean, going on from Paul, we most probably see my nephew playing for Barnsley. He's just left Barnsley and gone to uh, Walsall on loan, George Miller. So he's hope he does well for, for Walsall. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed for him. Um, look, look, talking about trouble coming to you, um, last night in Brazil, uh, extraordinary scenes. Um, so if you haven't caught up with this yet, last night, a World Cup qualifier with Brazil against Argentina. It was stopped when local health officials came onto the pitch accusing three Argentine players of COVID-19 violations. Uh, Keith, this is easily the most you are the ref scenario that we've had so far this season. <laughs> what on earth are you supposed to do as a referee when this happens? Well, I find it incredible. I mean, first of all, before any international game, or Premier League game for that, uh, there's a great deal of inspection. Uh, the team sheets, 
are applied and supplied one hour before the kickoff. There's a, there's a FIFA official there or a UEFA official or a Premier League match delegate. There's always an official at the game that's in and around the referee's dressing room area. All this could have been avoided. They knew who the players were one hour before, minimum one hour before kickoff. They knew the restrictions going through. I think this just smells suspicion for me. It, it's not realistic. It seems to me that somebody has suddenly said, you, Mr. Local Guy, come in and stop this match. We don't want the match to go ahead. Now, on the other side, you've got to look at the responsibility of both nations, Argentina and Brazil, but you've got to look at Argentina and say they knew who the players were. I think that the English, if you like, players who are playing in the Premier League and the Football League, Premier League in particular, are going through twice a week testing of the, of the highest quality. And their clubs would not allow them to play in the English Premier League without sufficient guarantees that they're not infected with COVID. So I just think there's been a complete and utter breakdown uh, in communication here. There's a great deal of history between Brazil and Argentina, all levels. I saw it way back in the youth, World Youth Cup when they both got to the final and somebody saying, this game will not finish. It did, but the threats were there. I just think it's a nonsense. It, it reflects really badly on the game. And these three players have gone from Premier League clubs and flown all that way. I don't know, you know, they'll feel pretty upset that they've not got a game in. And probably they may have to hang around a bit. And so, Mark, when you're the referee in that situation, I mean, a local health official comes onto the pitch. It's not like a fan invasion or anything like that. I mean, presumably you just have to do what the local government officials say. Well, that's right. I mean, I mean, listen, I solely echo what Keith has said. And as a referee in that situation, all of a sudden you think, what What on earth is going on here? What, what on earth is going on? So obviously you have to stop the game. But I think, you know, the Argentinian FA and the Brazilian FA have got a lot to answer for. On this situation, mm. and and for me, yes, government officials and and Keith's exactly right. The, the delegate is in charge of the of the match. He is responsible. So someone, someone, someone know, has known that these players have, you know, come from England. Like the Brazilian players have come from England, but they weren't allowed to play. You know, if I if I'm correct, and mm. and for me, wait, why are they not wait till half time? Wait till half time, and then sort it out in the dressing rooms at half time. And then if, if be it, take them three players off, substitute them at half-time, and then the game can continue. And we don't have all this, this nonsense that, we're, that we've got at the present. But I think you know, the Argentinian FA and the Brazilian FA have got to be accountable for what happened. In your career, did you ever have to deal with a pitch invasion, Mark? We saw it uh, close to home at Oldham this weekend. There were some Oldham supporters on the pitch, weren't there? I, I, I did. Um, I think Keith will remember. I, I refereed uh, the... the the West Midlands derby between Villa and Birmingham mm. at uh, Villa Park, where we had all sorts. We had sending-offs, we had crowd invasions, we had all sorts going off. And uh, <laughs> I weren't allowed out of my dressing room for two and a half hours after the game, and then we got a police escort back to the, to the hotel. Um, but, 
yeah, listen, you, you just got to let let the people, you know, when, when we do have a crowd invasion, you just got to let the, the stewards do their job. You stop the game, make sure the players are safe and, because that's that's, a, that's paramount, and if there is a safety issue, then we, we we get them off the pitch and we wait till the pitch is clear and it's safe for everybody to return. Is part of you going not just obviously you want to make sure everyone's safe and get the game back underway, but this is going to be a nightmare to write up later. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously, yeah, it, it is. You have to put in you have to put in your report um, and uh, an extraordinary report to the FA. We have these 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 situations. You have invasions and, and something untoward takes place. And you have to word it carefully because if you do put in a, uh, when you do put in your report, the clubs look at it and their 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 lizards look at it closely to see if there's any loopholes in, in what we've written. So we have, and Keith used to say to us many times, just be careful what you write on your report and make sure it's it's correct. Yeah, you know, Mike. When we get into these scenarios of uh, misdemeanors, uh, either during the game or post match, and it then goes to a disciplinary hearing. I think there's different arrangements now, but way back, uh, you used to have uh, uh, QCs representing the clubs. Their skill sets are such that what we would put down as common language to explain a situation, you know, we're reasonably well-educated, but we're not into the class of lawyers and barristers who who hang on every word. Some of the questioning was was pretty tough. And, And this is why I think... You know, even at grassroots level, when referees are writing their reports, they've got to be very clear, very precise, and almost minimalistic. That, that don't go into too much detail because you'll wonder with it what what I loosely termed a fair is, and you'll finish up reducing the quality of your report and the opportunity of the FA to take disciplinary action. Brief to the point. Yeah, and these referee reports are going to be extremely important when it comes to disciplinary sanctions, and it's not just what we've seen in Brazil or indeed at Oldham at the weekend. There was uh, investigations now from FIFA of uh, perhaps racist abuse being directed at England players last Thursday in a World Cup qualifier. So, you know, how how much is put on these referee reports to essentially work out what exactly has happened and what sanctions should be brought? Well, the first thing is that you've got to understand that the referee is a servant of the Football Association, first of all, and, if you like, licensed to apply the laws of the game on a football field. Hopefully, at times, you would expect the FA to actually support that referee. I know at grassroots level that that's not often the case when referees have been assaulted. You know, it might finish up with the police initially, but looking globally, I think that They have to rely on the referee's report. When we get into the Premier League, it's different. It's different on the basis that you've got 22 cameras and you can draw angles and and get clips that are unbelievable at times. Uh, You know, particularly when it's off-the-ball incidents. You know, unseen by the match officials often, can be unseen. And then, of course, you get that coming up in in the review process. Um, I think generally the, the system is fair. I do think on occasions that, you know, I worry about the formation of the committee in terms of their law knowledge. You know, I've seen in my time at the Premier League, I saw referees correctly dismissing players for the denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity. And because you had a player and a manager or a former manager on the review panel, making the decision, the referee who's 
sitting on the panel or the ex-referee sitting on that panel would be outvoted. And you, we'd look in amazement. The FA would, I would go into raptures with the FA and say, <laughs> look, this is the law. My guys applied the law. What signal are you sending out to other players, other competitions and my own referees? And that's when I had to be behind the scenes, extremely supportive of our referees who, you know, I, I look back now, I look at what I've seen in the last two years and, and some of the refereeing gaffes that that's been made almost three or four times a week um, compared to the group of referees that I officiated. I can't ever remember, even in that situation that Mark mentioned, Mark, for example, getting criticised by a club. And, and that applied to lots of referees. We used to get criticised by the manager immediately after the match. I'm going to speak to Keith Hackett or I'm going to do this and the referees got it wrong. You had, you had all that scenario. And we had to put up with that. That was part and parcel of the game. But I just have a feeling, and I think Mark probably agrees, that managers now comments have been suppressed. And I think that we're less transparent now than perhaps we used to be. You know, when you... Okay, I, I saw Neil Warnock get bounced uh, for his comments, but then I watched the film of that referee's performance, and I think I think Warnock had every right to have a go at the referee because I thought the referee's performance was abysmal. Hey, well, look, uh, you, we've got someone to review your own performance here, Keith, in, in Mark Halsey. Uh, you you <laughs> no can way. dish the dirt this afternoon if you want, uh, Mark, because, uh, well, what was Keith like as a boss? Oh, listen, I mean... <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> I used to be in Keith's here every Monday morning <laughs> about why have you appointed this assessor to me? Because he don't like my staff yeah. refereeing every time. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, listen, we had, I mean, Keith, I mean, to be fair, if Keith was, um, you know, looking back when I retired in end of 2013, I think if Keith was still in charge, um, I wouldn't have retired because he would have known, he looks after me a lot better than, uh, what I was by the current um, PGL manager, um, so that, that 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 says everything about about Keith. You know, he, he knew when to give you a kick up the backside, and he knew when to put an arm around you. And I've I've, I've I first come across Keith many many years when I first got promoted to the um, when I got first, my first season as a football league referee. He assessed me at um, Chesterfield. The old remember Keith Chesterfield. I yeah. do, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and he, he, came, he came in the this, this, this big man, oh, Keith Hackett, Keith Hackett, you know, knowing what a statue he was in, in the refereeing world. And he gave me an absolute glowing report. And the next, next, and I thought, you know, the next time my um, Keith assessed me was at Lincoln City. Do you remember Keith? Lincoln City oh, yeah. and Orion. Do, yeah. And he absolutely tore me to shreds. Tore me to shreds. Totally different review of my performance to the, uh, to the, um, the Chesterfield performance. Um, what were you getting wrong? Oh, well, I thought I didn't get anything wrong, but according to Keith, I got everything wrong. There was melees going on, there was all sorts going on. And uh, I thought, well, I've done okay until the uh, assessment come through the post. But uh, but no, I, you know, I learned from that day and obviously the, 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 that that performance and the following season, you know, I was promoted to the, to the Premier League and obviously referee in the playoff final at my first game at Wembley. So, um, yeah, listen. You, you you knew where you stood with Keith, and he was he was very fair. If you were performing, you got the games. If you wasn't performing, you didn't get the games. And that's how it should be. You know, it's how it should be. It's the same. You know, players playing football in the football team. If you're not performing, 
you don't get you don't get a game, and that's the way you know I, I manage a team out here and a Veterano's team, and that's the same. If they're not performing, then they don't start. You know, so um, that's 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 the way in all sport, isn't it? You've got to be performing. I mean, so yeah, sometimes as a referee, we're like we're like players. We can't be at our best week in week out because we're humans. Um, so. But there are times where you, you're not, you know, at your best. And as a referee, you know that, you know that. But it's about, you know, it's about understanding the game, understanding. Honestly, you've got to know the laws of the game. It's about understanding the game, having a little bit of empathy for the game, you know, and the players, you know, the frustrations that come with, with, with playing football. And obviously playing football like I did for, for 12 years in the non-league helped me enormously. And I took that all that experience into refereeing, refereeing and uh and I took that all the way through from grassroots right up to, to FIFA. And I, I, did, I didn't really change. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because not everyone will be familiar with the fact that you played the game at a semi-pro level for you know all that time. And uh, then the, you made the decision to, to go and pick up a whistle. So what was, what was the uh, idea behind that at the time? Uh, Did people think you were mad? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got, they say you've got to be crazy to be a, a goalkeeper, even, even more so as a, to become a referee. And... Uh, because I always remember telling telling my brother that uh, I'm going to become a referee when you're absolutely mad because he's <laughs> he's manager of a non-league side called Ware FC. They just uh, got through to the next round of the FA Cup, so they beat a team called Coney Heath on on Saturday four 0 So oh, he's, he, he's cock a hoops are in the next round, doing the draw today for the FA Cup next round. So that's great from um, great for the football club. Um, yeah, listen, it don't mean to say that because uh, an ex-player is going to become a good referee, you still have to have that natural ability. And um, what I took from playing all those years in, in, in high standard of non-league football is that I liked referees, and there was very few of them in that refereed me um, that that smiled with you and laughed with you and um, engaged with you and, and let the game flow, you know, and, and there was minimal referees like that in 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 non-league in, in when I played but there were there were the odd few and and I and I and I, I like that and I, I engaged with referees and I, I took that in, 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 into my game because as I said before you know it's, the game's all about the players it's all about the players and the fans you know and and you just got to yeah give, let the game breathe give it time give it a chance you know at the moment we see we're seeing referees I mean, not this season. I think so far this season has been a breath of fresh air. We have seen one or two inconsistencies with VAR already, um, but mm. I think the way we've started is is got to be good for our for our for our game. But for me, that's the way I love refereeing. I always gave the players a chance and engaged with them and had a laugh and had a joke with them. Um, so yeah, going back to how I started, it was a good friend of mine called Russell Foster. Who sadly we lost to COVID um, last year. He played. I played for his team on a Sunday in the Welling Hatfield Sunday League, and he played centre half. He asked me, "Mark, you come and play for us?" I said, "Yeah." I was only sixteen at the time, but he he played a centre half, and I, I've got to tell you, some of the things I saw him do as a centre half, as a goalkeeper, and the, when the referee's back was turned, oh, he was unbelievable. He'd, he'd kick people, he'd elbow people, he'd headbutt people, and get away with it because it was Sunday morning. And then he became a referee. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And he, he got up to a good standard in, and to referee in non-league, in the Ishman League. And I'm a great... I love my cricket. I absolutely love my cricket. Um, and I played club cricket for 20-odd 20, 20 years at a club called Hatfield Hyde in the um, Hearts Cricket League. And he's, his house, his garden backed onto our cricket field. And as, as a cricketer, you know, when your team's batted, 
you you do that you walk that round the boundary don't you with your friends you know, and, and 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 putting the world to rights and he'd always be waiting there for me and call me over and say mark you're going to become a referee you're going to come give up you're make a good referee I said russell i am not interested in refereeing i've got no interest whatsoever and he went on he went on all that summer and in the end he got me i said okay then if i can take the read the laws of the game, take the test. Without doing a course, I'll give it a go. And that's what I've done. I passed, give it a go, and I never looked back. <laughs> Started off in the Welling Apple Sunday League, the uh, Hearts County League, into the Ishman League, Conference National is now into the Football League and Premier League. And it, I never looked back. And I, I've got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed my time as a referee. And a lot of guys, you know, like Keith and the, the PGML and the Premier League, the chance for giving me, sorry, they giving me the chance to become a professional referee. It was, it was, it was fantastic. I had, a, had, a, had a great time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, an, it's a brilliant rise. And I mean, how quickly were you being noticed as someone who should be going up the levels? Uh, listen, I, I think I, I think Keith, Keith Keith will enlighten you on this, but I think that as an ex as an ex player coming up through the ranks, when I got into when when I came through the county league, the Ishman league, I was hardly assessed. It all went on club marks. And, and then I got into the what is now the National League, and then it was the conference. And then you get the professional assessors from the Football League. And when you're coming all the way through without being assessed, and you're, you're, you're a, I'm a player's referee, I've always been a player's referee, and always will be. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden you come to that, the National League, and you get hit with the, 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 the Football League assessors. And they, they, they know that you're an ex-player that's risen through very, very quickly. So they try to put you down and not give you the marks that you perhaps you think you deserve. And I always remember my first season on the panel, which was the panel, um, I had two letters from Jim Ashworth um, that warning me that if I didn't improve my performance, I would be, I'd be taken off the panel. So then that lost, I then lost my chance to become a football league referee because then I was assistant referee. Once you hit the panel, you become assistant referee in them days. But now it's all different, obviously. So yeah, so that that I I I I had to make that transition of being a player's referee to being a referee. Um, I, I managed to keep keep that in, you know, being a player's referee. But at the same time, if I on at that stage of my career, if someone needed, if some, if there was a Shall I caution him? Shall I not caution him? I cautioned him. And that's that's not, the, for me, that's not the right way to go out and referee a football match. But that's what you had to do. And that's what I had to do to progress. But once I got onto the Football League, Keith will tell you, once I got onto the Football League, I could, I could go back to being a player's referee because you yeah, then had to change from perhaps deciding whether do I caution, do I, do I not caution, to... I, I caution you can then add that little latitude um, in the football league to um, manage. When you first saw Mark refereeing, then Keith, what did you think of him, and what did you think about how far he could go based on what you saw? Yeah, I I had no doubts that Mark, uh, on my first view, I think first of all I was going in to some degree understanding that he was a guy that was building a reputation pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, I got the odd manager. I was going around and they would say, have you seen Mark Elsey? You know, in, a, in, in very similar ways uh, to, to when uh, I first saw Clattenburg. It was very much the same, but two different referees. Um, Mark's uh, reputation, first of all, is built on a foundation of 
excellent law knowledge. Um, probably um, that might surprise a lot of people, but his law knowledge has always been absolutely sharp as a, a, a razor. The thing that impressed me about Mark and has always impressed me about Mark was I'd never seen a referee ever cover so much dif- distance. Uh, he was almost tapping the shoulder of a player when the player needed to be spoken to. He was always in the zone, if you like. And later in his career, that he earned the respect of players because of his ability to take the heat out of situations. And, and I think to some degree, I probably appreciated that because I was always a, a referee personally that thought the game was about players and not, not referees. And Mark's got a similar sort of uh, attitude. And, and I think that it was very easy for me because he was almost the first name on the team sheet when he was promoted. So I saw this acceleration and thought, when I first saw him, I'm going, he's, going to be a, he's not just going to be a football league referee. He's going to be an international referee. He's right to make the point that when, when I refereed him at Lincoln, I was critical of his performance because one of the things that an assessor has to do is be honest and not always go with the flow. If he wasn't on the team sheet, unlike loads of referees, who were quite happy to have a weekend off. He didn't want a weekend off. He wanted to know why he would, had he done something wrong. Seen Them Given is supported by Premier Events, one of the UK's leading event management and event production companies. Premier pride themselves not only on offering first-class customer service, but more importantly, they take the stress out of planning events for corporate and private clients alike. Many of us are working more from home, so whether it's a fully virtual business update on Premier's very own streaming platform, a glamorous in-person awards ceremony, or a hybrid of the two for a retailer conference, Premier has everything under one roof to deliver stress-free, world-class events. Premier's team supports you every step of the way. That includes creating and designing content to ensure your audience is engaged and motivated, proud and energised. Whatever your goal, Premier's experienced creative team are on hand to guide you through the process. From their base in Leicestershire, Premier are perfectly positioned to service the whole of the UK and beyond. They even offer a free venue finding service for in-person events to ensure the best space possible for your budget. Visit www.premier-limited.com to take the first step towards taking the stress as of your next event. I can talk a lot about Mark because he's a guy of great courage in his refereeing career. And then obviously when he had his battle against his, uh, his cancer, when I saw a human being battling a disease, but having a vision that he was going to win and what he wanted to do after his win. And of course, a lot of people don't know that I'd appointed him to Everton v Arsenal. He had a superb performance. It was the first game of the season. So I got 10 referees and I wanted my 10 best referees out that day. And Arsenal wasn't an easy, easy match. With Wenger, there was always that potential moan or whatever. Mark produced a, a superb performance at Everton. And that Monday morning, I came into the office latish, having travelled down from Sheffield and, and said to my PA, 
Mark's got to be appointed on the list. And then she burst into tears. And at that point, I was informed and not aware at all that Mark was in hospital um, going for surgery. I had to leave my office and go and walk um, around uh, a bit of London because it got me so, so much that one of my referees, had, in, a, in a way, disappointed I'd been kept away from that. But then what we saw was, what I saw was and witnessed was a battle where at times I thought, you know, there were people around me saying, Mark will never get back. And I just went, you're dealing with Mark Elsie here. Uh, a totally different human being. And perhaps I'm then tainted on my views of Mike Riley at the PGMOL. And I don't want to bring him up because it's a negative in refereeing, a massive negative, because his lack of support for Mark Elsey. He beat this disease, he was in remission, and the way he was treated was totally unacceptable. I'd left as the boss. And so, in a way, I, I'm tarnished by that fact. And then that was underpinned you know, because referees are colleagues. We're a very small-knit family. You know, Mark will go into local parks and watch and offer advice to referees. And he would train like crazy, you know. And I always use him as the baseline for when I'm looking at referees now. Where are they moving? How are they moving? I remember his comeback games. I remember him getting a standing ovation at Wolverhampton where I was his guest. And I was in the crowd. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen that before. When Mark left uh, Christie's, he didn't forget about Christie's because he then had it, this huge charity event. And I think the mark of the respect that, uh, that Mark had in the game was the number of players that were at that event. Ferguson, Allardyce, Moyes, um, and other managers were in attendance. Which, is, which I found absolutely amazing. But, you know, Mark left this game without a retirement uh, fee or plan or the usual um, retirement gift of, of finance, usually a season's money. Mm. The referee is often when he's retiring. Might change now because there's a, there's a pension fund, but in my day, the referees didn't get pension. Mark, having given loyal and dedicated service to the game, did not receive the package that other referees have received. That cannot be right. That, for me, is still an injustice to him and his family. So you can see, behind the scenes, the one thing about Mark Elsey is, and I have no embarrassment to tell him face-to-face, -face, not only was he an outstanding referee, but as a person, you couldn't wish to have someone that was a colleague, and I regard Mark as a friend. We both share a love for the game. Mark, I wanted to go back to that, that weekend of the Everton-Arsenal game that um, Keith was talking about. Just just talk us through that weekend from, from your perspective, knowing what you, you knew, uh, if you're happy to talk about that with yeah. us, and, and um, how... It all unfolded. 
Yeah, just going back to the assessor again, the assessor kind on my performance that my fitness wasn't what it should be. Do you want to know why? <laughs> yeah. But no, it's... Um, oh, God. Uh, no, I didn't even tell. I mean, I must admit, I did. Uh, I mean, I didn't speak to Keith. Um, I think it was the Wednesday or Thursday I went to um, for the for the scan, and I found out. Uh, but I mean, um, about you know, I had the, the tumor, and um, it was it was devastating. And obviously, being appointed to the to the live game at the start of the season, I, I had a massive dilemma because I didn't look well, didn't look right. But I didn't. I didn't tell Keith. I, I spoke to um, Kieran Barrett, who was then our, our our manager, and asked him not to say anything. And um, he left it totally up to me. I think um, Keith, uh, Kieran and Kelly Wright were the only two that, that knew, um, and they left it up to me to decide whether I wanted to referee or not. And I always remember walking into the uh, into the, the hotel where we where we meet four hours before the, the game and the assistant referees, it was Trevor Massey and um Andy Garrett and Mike Jones was the fourth official and you could just see on their face they looked at me thinking I didn't look I didn't look right and I, I didn't look right and I just thought it was my last ever game. If I if I'm being critical of myself, um, I think if Keith had have known, I don't think he would let me referee that game to, to be perfectly honest. Um, because obviously it was a massive game Everton Arsenal live on TV. And I just felt that if I wasn't going to referee again, I wanted to do this game. And luckily for me, people didn't know it. I only, I mean, I felt like collapsing. I mean, I told the two assistants, obviously, um, and, and, and Mike Jones knew, but they were sworn to secrecy. And I just said to them, get to me as quick as you can at half-time and full-time, because I knew that uh, I could have collapsed at any moment. And yeah, I suppose looking back at it, I, I shouldn't have done that game. I should not have done that game. Definitely not. Because if something had gone wrong or um, a massive error by myself, that would have caused problems for Keith and, and for me. And people would have criticised me saying I shouldn't have refereed that game because of my illness. Um, but luckily for me, it, it went it went OK. So I was I was happy. And yes, on, 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 I remember sitting in the dressing room, the guys helping me off, off the pitch to the dressing room. And I just, just sat in the dressing room, you know, with me head in my hands and a few tears because I knew I was in hospital to have the tumour removed on, um, on on the Monday. And bearing in mind, my wife was suffering as well with leukaemia, so we were diagnosed six months apart from each other. So it was, it was tough. It was very tough. But everybody come to, you know, you know, to put the support within my family and obviously my loved ones and the football community was, was, was overwhelming. Um, obviously, I had the tumour removed. It grew back within a week. And that's when I and my wife phoned up the Christie and Tim Tim Illich was was the man, um, and I'm you know still here today to tell the tale. So uh, someone's smiling on us both up there. So uh, you know, as I say, it's, it was it was very very tough. Not only still here, but you know, you got back to exactly where you'd been as a referee, and, and you know, refereeing at the top level again, and. The, the drive to to do that, you know, I, I don't think that's something you'd find in in many people. But but you did it. Uh, there was a there was a lot of things put in my way to prevent me from coming back. Um, I think Keith's enlightened on on them to you on that, so I won't take that any further. Um, I think I think the what the, the drive. I mean, obviously with my, my wife Michelle and kicking me up the backside a few times, saying you stop moping about, and I think also with Timmy saying to me that. Um, 
you know, if you survive, then you will never, ever, ever referee again. And I think that was the motivation to go out there and show people that, you know, you can give cancer the red card and still get back to doing what you what you loved before. When I, you know, come back, you know, I come back in the reserve section of the Football League and in the Football League itself. And I remember making my debut at um, my Football League debut again after my illness at, at Rotherham. And I think it was Rotherham Notts County, I think it was well, Rotherham Port Vale. I can't remember which one of the one, I think it was Port Vale. The reception I got from wherever I went, you know, from, at Rotherham and then then I went to Notts County and then obviously subsequently in it back in the football league and in the Premier League was 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 just fantastic. You know, the, mm. it was it, every everywhere I went, you know, everywhere I went, it was just and they were special special memories and you know some of the things that you know Swansea City when I went down to Swansea they were fantastic. Everton Football Club, you know, all of the football, you know, all loads of football clubs, um, were all special and and it's uh, it's through them that I think that I, I got back to to and refereeing and all the all the players that were in the game at the time were fantastic with me and, and, and certain managers as well. So when you were um, coming back into football, uh, for you know refereeing again for the first time uh, since your recovery, were you any more nervous, or were you more nervous or less nervous than the first game you refereed in the Premier League? And you know, it was, it was, what, what were the feelings like? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I was always nervous before a game, always. Um, and if you wasn't nervous, you're not, you you weren't human, was you? Um, but yeah, I, I suppose coming back from that, that what I fought back from um, did make me more nervous because people be looking at you, scrutinise you even more. And I was, I think I was scrutinised even more by assessors and and when it went on to the um, the, the system where they, they just look at the DVD and. and view your performance I think it, yeah I think it put more pressure on me that you know I, and I, more pressure than it should have done really and I think that's down to the powers to be it didn't make me feel relaxed didn't put an arm around me or didn't speak to me or you know you never had that you didn't have that personal conversation as I used to have with, with Keith because Keith was right I, you know if I didn't have a game I was knocking at his door or I was on the phone to him and I didn't it didn't worry me whether I refereed in the Premier League Championship, League One, League Two. I even refereed. I didn't have a game. I even refereed in the conference one weekend. Um, so just to just to get a game. So you know, I, I I was a great believer that you shouldn't have to referee in the in the Premier League. The the League One and League Two clubs deserve good referees just as much as the the Premier League does. And uh, as I say, I was always knocking on his door, saying, "Listen, put me in League One, put me in League Two. I've got no problem with that." And he used to, he used to. People used to think I've been, I've been, uh, been disciplined because of poor performances. And Mr. Keith rightly said, "No, Mark wasn't. He was resting this weekend. He wants the game." And so, and that, but you're right. I did feel a bit more pressure on myself um, when I did come back from from battling my illness. Favorite games as a referee that you've been involved in, either because of your own performance or because of the performances you got to see? I've, I've been, I've been involved in many, many, many. The Wigan Blackpool game, and obviously Blackpool's first game back in the Premier League. Um, that my return to the Premier League from giving cancer the red card has got to be the best game in my Premier League career because I had no right mm. to come back and referee that game. So I was told, and I did. I think the uh, mark of uh, of, a, of a good referee and one that's uh, above the rest was 
the number of phone calls that we received in the office complimenting Mark from fans and from clubs and then from players because uh, Mark had, I could have put him out on a fairly regular basis uh, just for charity and testimonial games. Mark and I did a, a soccer school art in the States and uh, Stephen Gerrard was playing. One of the guys over there we, that we had been lecturing to had informed Mark that he was a, a big Liverpool fan and Steve Gerrard was his hero. And Mark said, oh, we're going to the game on Saturday. You can come with us. And so this guy, mature individual, went to the game with us. Uh, what he didn't realise, that Mark had had a quick conversation with Steve Gerrard. And uh, as uh, Gerard was uh, running out onto the field of play, Mark sort of he looked for Mark. He knew where Mark was going to be sitting, where we were sitting. He acknowledged us and off he went. After the game, we had a, a, a mature guy, probably in his 50s, Mark, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah. He'd be in his 50s, uh, in tears. And it, there's, a, there's a great, somewhere in my file, I've got a great clip of uh, this guy, Mark introducing him to uh, Stephen Gerrard. In the, in the channel, wasn't it? He couldn't get a word in out. In the dressing room area. He couldn't get yeah. a word out. Yeah. It, it just couldn't. It, it, and it was, it was interesting that Mark had facilitated that so that a fan could meet his hero. And, and you know, afterwards he's saying, I met an hero and the hero didn't let him down. And, and it, but I make that point because Stephen Gerrard could have had the pick of referees from around the world to referees testimonial. And in fact, he picked Mark, and Mark did that particular game. A lot of people fail to understand the amount of enjoyment that we get out of the game. And I think the other aspect is they think that the refereeing is a lonely job because we turn up at the ground a couple hours before the kickoff or an hour in local football, and we're on our own. But in fact, it's quite an extended family. Mark was a a player's referee, and he's right to say that. But let us also remember he applied the laws. And I, I will always go back to the fact that, as a Sheffield Wednesday fan, Mike, <laughs> in less than, I don't 13 know, sec 18 13 seconds. seconds. 13 seconds. He shipped Kevin Pressman, our goalkeeper of Sheffield Wednesday, off for the denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. It highlights, for me, you can still have a great deal of fun refereeing and you manage players effectively. You win their respect, but you're still applying the laws. And that's what Mark did. And Kevin still doesn't forget, forgive me for this day. <laughs> I bet he doesn't either. Being part of the goalkeeping uh, society. Right, yeah. yeah. I guess that, yeah, for sure. Very, very quickly, just, uh, just on, you know, what Keith's been saying there about referees having, you know, personalities and, and being people and actually enjoying the game and, I just wonder, actually, when people talk about transparency in refereeing, whether actually what they really want is to see the person. Um, because we don't ever see referees interviewed. I think before this show, not too many people will actually know what you sound like. <laughs> or look, you know, yes. Yeah. Do, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got to watch me P's and Q's on this show. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think it's difficult for, for referees to come straight out and speak to the media because what we've got to remember is that they're not media trained. And we all know that 
can easily be tripped up by a one-liner and then it gets twisted, turned and twisted. So it's difficult for referees to come on and speak because then they won't ask them what they, you know, just about that specific incident. They'll ask them different things about what happened last week, what happened the week before. And that's mm. got nothing to do with that. You talk about that incident that happened then. And for me, I think that we've got delegates appointed by the Premier League. They go in and set, they assess the, the referee's performance for the Premier League as well. So they, as well as having a technical before, um, performance assessor, they have uh, um, someone from the Premier League. And that delegate comes in, he's there, he's in charge of the game, he speaks to the managers after the game, he comes in and talks to the referee about his performance. They go through any key issues, any key decision-making that went on in that that game and, and talk through it. Now, having after spoken to the referee, that delegate can then go and face the media, the press, the written press, the TV, and, and talk about controversial incidents. Well, having spoken to the referee, this is why he gave this decision this is why he didn't give that and and that that would help but also i think with with var i think it's imperative that the fans are just as important as anybody else in football that they hear the conversation between var and the and the referee so the conversation between the referee and stockley park so Absolutely. so everybody knows what is going on and why why they've given a decision or why they've recommended a review they may not like it or may not agree with it, but at least there's some transparency over certain decisions where it's been recommended for review or it's not been recommended for review and the reasons why, or the reasons why they gave that, that, that they recommended the review. I think it's going to be a lot of people nodding along. Right, before we go, uh, one of my favourite parts of the show, this, where we uh, take a look at a law that could be changed, improved, or indeed scrapped. Uh, this week, by popular demand on Twitter, from the feedback we got last week, the six-second law, uh, that law in full, an indirect free kick is awarded if a goalkeeper inside their penalty area controls the ball with their hand or arm for more than six seconds before releasing it. When was the last time you saw a goalkeeper penalised for that, I hear you ask? Well, to make an otherwise one-sided contest between England and Andorra a bit more interesting, I decided to get my stopwatch out, because that's the kind of guy I am, uh, to time how long both goalkeepers actually held the ball. Uh, England's Sam Johnston uh, had the ball in his hands four times in the match. He held it for one, two, three and five seconds uh, during the game. His opposite number, the Andorran goalkeeper, Joseph Gomez, held the ball five times. He kept it in his hands for 10, 12, 13, 17, and on one occasion, 18 seconds. Why does nobody care about the six-second law, Keith? I tell you what, let me come in there first. I used to say to the goalkeepers, you keep that in your hands until I tell you to kick it, because I was blowing out my backside. <laughs> 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 Don't forget, we need breathers yeah. as well, you know, on the pitch. Jesus. <laughs> as I said as a referee, don't go looking for trouble. Can you imagine, nil-nil, last minute, a goalkeeper holds it for eight seconds, you give an indirect free kick, touch it to see that, he bangs it in the back of the net. That happened at Newcastle Bolton. Keith will know because he had Sam Allardyce on the phone because David Ellery done that exact thing. He did. He did. If a law is not being applied on the field of play, and not impacting on the game, then it's a law that could, in fact, be dropped. Absolutely. Uh, because I think that law changes are made to the shape of the game that's being played around that around that time. Yeah. And, I, and I do think that there are... 
the whole aspect of, you know, if you put this in the round, the whole aspect of timekeeping in a game should be handed to an independent guy. It should be an independent timekeeper. Take it off the referee. And I think that then could be added at point away from the game. You know, the, the timekeeper can say, right, okay, I've stopped my watch or whatever he wants to do in those situations. I think Mark is right. I mean, I, I experienced on a similar vein when they penalised the goalkeeper for four steps. And, and I had to referee uh, New Zealand versus Australia out in Auckland. And at that time, both Australia and uh, New Zealand were not applying that law. No one was aware of it. And so I had to have the goalkeeper. And FIFA had already sent me a note saying, you must apply it. And so I had the goalkeepers in the dressing room prior to uh, the kickoff and talked to them about the four-step rule. And, of course, it happened. I think uh, New Zealand were winning 1-0. The New Zealand goalkeeper carried the ball. Seven, eight, nine steps, Mark. And I, I've gone, I've got to blow it. And I blew it. And, and all hell let loose. Mm. And they still remember that game in New Zealand, Australia, because of the four steps. Wow. Yeah. Because everybody, you know, the media say, Hey, Keith, hey, like the West Ham fans, and like the West Ham fans, remember the game in semi final. <laughs> yeah, exactly, with Tony Gale. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think that in, in the round, really, I, I do think that, you know, to answer your earlier question, a lack of communication from the PGMOL is unacceptable. And therefore, there has to be a mechanism that's put in place that communicates accurately why either decisions have been made. But if you then say, this is the decision that's been made, you stick with law. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the outcome is, at times, a referee is going to make an error He's a human being, yeah. right? They don't make that many errors. Often when they make an error, it's a big error and it impacts on the outcome of the game. I think those have every right, somebody from the PGML to explain. And then that will improve law knowledge because quite often it, the referee's been criticised unfairly because he's applied the law and the law is not one that's familiar. But at the moment, they make, the it, up as they, at the moment, they make it up as they go along concerning yeah. VAR. It's inconsistent. Yeah. 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 VAR is a nightmare. And it's only in this country it's a nightmare because it's operating in other countries reasonably successfully. Well, look, guys, I think we have run out of time, but thank you so much, Mark Housley, for being part of the show this week. Keith, You're welcome. as always, thank you. If you've got a question, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address, or if you want to uh, suggest a law change like we've uh, just discussed there, you can do it at the same place as well. We're also on Twitter at seen underscore them underscore given. Uh, if you've stayed with us for the whole show, thanks so much for listening. Uh, new episodes of Seen Them Given are released on your favourite podcast provider every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the show, just give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help other people discover the show. For now, though, thanks so much for your company, and we'll see you next time.